0: Guys, my name is Alex, and you're listening to the Thousand Movie Project podcast. Listening, more specifically, to the hundredth episode of the podcast. Have you ever had a dream that one hundred? It's I so, do, it's so mean, many. You, you, you can, you do, you you want, you, you could do so. You, you do, you can, you, you want, you want him to do you so much. You could do anything. Which isn't a big deal, really. It's a nice round number, well, like 100, but the celebration of 100 episodes is kind of arbitrary. Reaching 100 episodes does not attest to the idea that I've done a good or worthwhile thing. To the extent that I feel at 100 episodes like I have any reason to pat myself on the back, it's just for the idea of having embarked on this fucking stupid project and because and like making it into something that I enjoy, something that eventually became listen toable. And 100 episodes just means that I kind of stuck with it. And so, I'm happy about that. But celebrating it seems kind of weird. Like, I know a lot of podcasts do it. And I think, frankly, it's just because, like, everybody's looking for something to talk about. But it's kind of like the first fucking trucks. But it's kind of like the first hundred days of an American presidency. Apparently, Franklin Roosevelt really annoyed the shit out of, like, every one of his successors when he came up with the idea of, like, doing a bunch of really big shit in his first hundred days. All through the campaign, he was like, In my first hundred days, I will sign legislation to put a giraffe in every house. Crazy promises. Relentless promises. But he did such a remarkable job of living up to those promises, or at least, like, the... The ones that mattered. So now, whenever someone's running for office, the voters and the press are like, what are you going to do in your first 100 days? It's only 100 days. Are you going to be able to get anything done? Which is kind of a ridiculous question when it comes to (laughs) running the country. Like, shit takes time. Big ships turn slowly. I remember at Biden's first press conference, someone was like, Joe, what's the deal? Are you going to run for president again in 2024? Do you plan on being dead at that time? And Joe kind of huffs about it. Like, he deflects the question a bit before saying that he, quote, fully intends to run for president again when he's 81 years old although i learned in reading bob woodward's latest book peril that many of the people in biden's campaign were telling him that he ought to pledge that he's going to he's only going to be president for one term and i don't know if they were like doubling down on that because they were just advising it or if he was like yeah that's my intention and they wanted him to really lean into it and be open and transparent about it but in his, wa- when they asked him the question, like, are you going to run again in 2024? He's waffling and shit. And then he goes, <laughs> he gets like out of defensive and he's like, I don't know what kind of lives you guys live where you can make plans about where you're going to be <laughs> and what you're going to want in four years. <laughs> but I, I can't do that. Which is a fairly good point, I guess. Like, even though he's obviously dodging the question and it's a very suspicious kind of question to be dodging. But that question is like the employer at the prospective employer asking you where you think you're going to be in five years i don't think i've ever heard anyone answer that question with confidence and if they did demonstrate lots of confidence in answering like where they want to be in five years it's usually pretty delusional where they're like i'm gonna have a gold record in in five years or they're gonna be a millionaire at 30. that reminds me like i've told you in the past about that chef that i worked with at um a steakhouse on brickle it was called um the, the place was called the big easy and it's out of business now it died in the early months of COVID, but there was a chef there and he was good at his job and he was 24 years old and uh, he had just gotten into real estate. Some relative had died and bequeathed a bunch of money to him and he was going to use that money to buy a bunch of properties around Florida and flip them. But <laughs> this is not a thing to laugh about, but like the big quest was not huge. It was not a, a lot of money. So he was like, okay, first I'm going to go... <laughs> I'm going to go around and I'm going to buy really cheap houses, like in Overtown and Yeehaw Junction, Florida. He was like, yeah, man, I'm going to buy a house for like 15, 20 grand, and I'm going to flip it for 100 and just keep doing that and climbing the ladder and raising the ranks. Which, first of all, is very optimistic, like incredibly optimistic. But then I was like, okay, so what's, what's like down the line? What's your goal? And he was like, just fucking be a millionaire, retire at 30. And I was like, bro, what are you going to do when you retire? And he was like, just chill. And I was like, for 70 years, you're just going to chill? What does that even mean? How do you actively chill? (laughs) Like, I imagine him waking up every every morning and rolling over and looking at his day planner and it just says, relax, (laughs) 9 to (laughs) 5. But it's also kind of sad because, like, for someone... (laughs) (laughs) a 24 year old man (laughs) to be like I fucking hate work so much every job I have ever had has been so consummately unrewarding that I just at the age of 30 I want to go catatonic and just like sit in a chair and him saying like oh I want to retire at 30 even though the people of my generation will regularly live to be a hundred years old he isn't saying I want to die but it's kind of, it does seem like a death wish, right? Not not like a thrill-seeking, you know, jump-from-a-building death wish. But it does seem like I want to lead a life in which all of the sensory input I receive is pleasurable. And that would just turn into white noise. Like when I think of retiring a little bit too early, I, I think of like when oral sex goes on too long, <laughs> but imagine that's just your life. But yeah, if I was president, um, which is in the cards I think, but if I was president and a reporter was like, Alex, what are you gonna do with your first 100 days in office? I'd be like, in my first 100 days in the White House, I, will be looking for spiders. I don't know if you guys know how old the White House is, but I will tell you. It's old as balls, and now I have to live there. So for the first hundred days of my presidency, I will be consumed full-time with an aggressive fumigation campaign of the West Wing. And seeing as I will not be spending much time in the East Wing, I'm allowing, in a tentative detente with the spiders, that they can occupy the East Wing. Imagine you ceded half of the White House to spiders like just as a convenience thing, but then they overheard so much about like statecraft and the machinations of government that they started participating in those machinations. The People in the news would make jokes like, the president is caught in a web of lies. Everything, there'd be a lot of web puns, and then there'd be a fight on Twitter about how you shouldn't talk down to spiders. And I suspect there would be, like, a really dark period for frogs in popular culture, because I think frogs eat spiders, right? Also, I think every, like, fifth dog owner in history has had the very scary experience of, like, rushing their dog to the hospital because the dog ate the frog that ate the spider who was just trying to defend his country. So it's my 100th episode of the podcast, and I was wondering what to talk about, and I figured I would just talk about the podcast itself, like the ups and downs of doing it, because that's what celebrations are for, self-absorption. Mainly, between the ups and downs, there's mostly ups. It's pretty much exclusively ups at this point. The only way, I think, that you get to do in 100 episodes of a podcast is if you have successfully weeded out all of the downsides or if there are major downsides, they are offset by the fact that ass loads of cash are falling on your doorstep and since ass loads of cash are not falling on my doorstep from this podcast i've just kind of weeded out everything that is remotely unpleasant it's 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 like an absolute delight and mainly like the upsides have to do with the fact that as you as you might have deduced i am awkward as shit i spend a ridiculous amount of time by myself. I always have, ever since I was a kid. But all that solitude that I ever practiced, it was always offset by going to school or going to a regular sort of communal workspace. And yeah, I I would visit those spaces most days. I would be forced into communication with people and that would sort of fill my quota. Very often it would exceed my quota. But now that that shit is dramatically reduced, now that I pretty much go into the restaurant only twice a week, my fucking solitude has like gone through the roof, which I think is part of why I went through such like a heavy drinking period in those first couple years out of college where I didn't know what to do with myself professionally except to write things down and then all of my friends were like getting out of college and they were going to different states and they were pursuing higher degrees or, or career opportunities or lovers and I was just like farting around in Miami and like I started dating an old high school friend simply because she and I, I'm not kidding, We're the only ones left. Although we did enjoy each other's company and we are still friends. And and in all of that farting around, all of that isolation, I came to look at bartenders as friends, which 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 is not what they are. But the thing is, like, I didn't have much money and I didn't want to sit home all day. So I would go to a bar, I would sit there, and the bartender would stand there. And they had to stand there. And so we would end up talking and I would drink, which would, of course, make me chattier. It made me, you know temporarily happier, and I would divulge a bunch of intimate shit, shit that you generally would only divulge to a friend, and so, on the surface, these relationships really did seem like friendships, but they were ultimately just transactional. In all of my years of being a barfly, I have maybe gone out and had drinks with like five out of the hundred bartenders that I had I, with whom I had developed like a friendly, regular rapport. What's become clearer and clearer as I've gotten older is that I'm just naturally a very isolated person. But obviously, as is clear from my constant like writing and reading and recording, I do seek communication, and affirmation, and all of that normal human stuff, but in my daily life, I'm very shy about it and resistant to people's efforts to hang out with me or strike up conversation, and there's no reason for me to be this like, withdrawn. Like, I dodge texts and phone calls, I procrastinate with emails, I want to communicate and connect with people, I just don't want them to do that to me. But then if people don't reach out to me, I fall into this spiral of like, nobody wants to talk to me, even though I have made this bed. I have put myself in the situation of people trying to reach out to me so many times that they're just like, fuck it, this dude doesn't respond. And so there's something very nice about the dynamic of a podcast, which is I talk for a long time, I throw it out into space, and a bunch of people are like, hey, cool. and that's the relationship. Another reason I think I tend to be so bad at making comfortable connections with people in, in my daily life is because having spent so much time by myself consuming movies and podcasts and YouTube videos and novels, just thinking about shit in quiet empty rooms, what I've been slow to realize is that I am in the con- I am in constant solitary avid conversation with myself. Constant constant conversation with myself. And when I'm talking with myself about something, that guy, that guy Alex who lives inside me, he's familiar with all of my reference points. So I never have to explain shit. But then I carry that guy, that internal Alex, out into the world with me. I have a couple drinks so that I feel comfortable enough to open up and really talk with someone. And then I find that in order to express an idea, like I, have, I feel like I have to provide a shitload of context. Like I will watch A series of videos about a competitive eater and then i go into a wormhole of deep thought about competitive eating and then i go to try to share those thoughts with someone and then i'm like okay wait here's there's this competitive eater on youtube and and, you know i have to tell the whole story or i feel like i do i probably don't but but then i like i get to communicate more freely in the blog posts and in the essays and in the podcasts because i get the chance to edit myself to say something and then refine it which generally means reduce it and i get to liven it up with with rhetorical flourishes or sound effects or whatever which i don't really get to do in conversation in conversation it's like the words that come to you are the words that you use also i think podcasting is a platform for long-windedness A podcast seems like it is supposed to be freely associative and rambling my conception of a podcast's allure at this point, is that they make you feel like you're sharing someone's company. Because I'd be willing to bet that the overwhelming majority who listen regularly to podcasts, they listen to it while they're doing other things. They're going for a walk, or they're they're exercising, or they're cleaning, or doing some mindless task. They're not, like, sitting down and staring at their lap and, and, like, just listening to whatever the podcaster is saying. And so, in that sense, it's been liberating to do the show for so long and to have people, you know, come aboard and listen. Mainly because I feel like in conversation with you here on this platform, I'm able to be a more authentic version of myself than I would ever be if you and I just sat and got a beer together. Because if I'm just sitting next to you and I just met you and I'm trying to explain myself, I'm gonna stammer, I'm gonna use the wrong words, I'm gonna digress, I'm gonna go on too long, which are all things that I do here. But like, you can just turn this off. Like when I'm sitting and talking with someone, it's often the case that I'll try telling them something about like what happened to me that day. And I see their eyes wandering because, like, it takes me so, it takes me a fucking eternity to get to the point. One time a few months ago, I was with Bob and Linda on their balcony, and Bob asked me something about my day. And so I started telling him this long story about some drama that had happened at the restaurant, how there was a bartender at the time, and she did a bunch of coke right before she showed up to work. And then she got drunk, and then she started sobbing and screaming, Fuck me in the ass! Fuck me in the ass! I swear to God. It's a, it's a long story, obviously, but i will like, tell I'll tell you the story sometime. But toward the end of my telling the story to Bob and Linda on their balcony, Bob, diplomatically, he lifts up a hand and he goes, this is a good story and I'm glad to hear it, but you've been talking for 45 minutes and I have things to tell you. And I was fucking mortified. Not because he said anything bad or rude. I was grateful that he interjected rather than letting me go on for a full fucking hour. But just the idea that I had allowed myself such blind license to go on at such fucking length about this little innocuous episode from my week at a restaurant. An episode that, if I had written it out and sat on it for a couple of days, I could easily have boiled down to a 10 or 15 minute anecdote. If I don't plan what I'm going to say, if I just let loose and try to talk about my my life and or my interests in the way that it seems everyone else is perfectly capable of discussing their own, I end up going on at just unconscionable length with all these fucking digressions and people end up hastening me toward the point in such, and they hasten me toward the point in such a way that eventually I'm just like, no, fuck it, the point is so long off, like, well, let's just end it here. Let's just cut, let's not throw good money after bad. And to be honest, like, it does some kinds. It does sometimes activate this worry about whether I'll be able to really make a make like a lasting, comfortable connection with a network of people, like like in my daily life, or even with an individual, like romantically or whatever. Where they're, you know, are they going to be like? I don't want to spend my life talking with someone who never seems to have a coherent thought. But that reminds me, and this is morbid, but like, okay, digression. There's a dude at the coffee shop that I visit um, all the time who fucking repulses me because he's constantly got this chorus of phlegm going on—an orchestra of boogers with harmonicas—and with all of the, I become legitimately nauseous. And on more than one occasion, I've had to just leave. Speaking of which, the other day I was writing at the—I was at the coffee shop and they've got this long communal table and I was there and I was writing and I was by myself and this dude comes and he sits at the far end of the table from me, like like four seats down. But before he does that, like he gestures at the chair and then he waves to get my attention and he asks very cordially, do you mind if I sit here? And I was like, no, no, it's cool, help yourself. And he goes, are you sure? I'm gonna be on a call, I don't wanna disturb you. And I said, no, it's cool, it's fine, I, I can tune it out, it's fine, go ahead. The guy is very effusive, very considerate And then he starts setting up his tech, and he's got a lot of devices with him. And as he is setting up his stuff, I hear him clear his throat a few times. And I don't think much of it. But then he sits down, and he continues to clear his throat, and to snort, and to hack, and to honk. And it gets so bad that finally he stands up. He he takes some napkins off of a little display table nearby. He puts the napkins to his face, and he unleashes the most wet, honking... Marathon nose blow. I I can never I can remember ever having heard in my life and as he's doing it I do I I get this full-bodied shudder type thing like I feel it in my spine and then he stops and He tosses the napkin and he starts working and then I Continue to do my own work and I get so caught up in my work that when I hear the next honk the next nasal slip and slide I literally Convulse in my chair and it's so dramatic, it's so overblown, no pun intended, that I just get up and I start packing my shit right away. And the dude can tell why I'm doing this. And, and so he looks at me and he's, he's got apology written all over his face, which I, which I do feel kind of bad about. And then he holds up the bald, mucusy tissue, points at it with his other hand, and he says to me triumphantly, Don't worry, it's out. What kind of remark is that? Don't worry, it's out. If I was suddenly plagued with, like, a really distracting erection, and then I just pulled my dick out and started masturbating to get rid of it, how would you feel if you were like, Alex, I'm bothered that your penis is out, and then I just turned to you and held up, you know, with three wet grunts, I held out the napkin and I was like, don't worry, it's out. Would you feel comforted would you want to keep sitting there like oh okay well now that he's ejaculated i will continue to sit beside the man who just whipped out his dick which by the way sorry for the digression but it reminds me after college when i moved back with my parents i started spending a lot of time at the mall near their house it was called the falls and as i would wander around that mall usually drunk I would pass this store. The mall has had a few stores like it in the past. It was a video game bar. Like, they didn't sell alcohol. They only sold sodas and energy drinks, but they had like 20 kiosks with gaming consoles and headsets and you could sit there and play Xbox or PlayStation or some PC game. And I w- every time I saw it, I was interested to try it. But I kept forgetting about this place until I walked past it, until I was already there. And then as I walked past it, I'd be like, hey, I should go in there. Have a Red Bull, play some video games, sober up, and I would go so far as to like walk toward it and reach my hand toward the door handle But then I would stop because there was a catch. This video game bar was lit entirely With black light and there was a part of me a, a faint But but very resonant voice that every time I approached that place it was like what if I go in there and I realize That there is semen on me things happen It's hard, you can't always aim, like if someone, like if someone came up to me and they were like, Alex, there is semen on your clothing, I wouldn't be like, HOW?! (laughs) It happens! I swear to god, that is 100% the reason. That kept me from going in there every time I passed it, and then one day, it was gone. Out of business, packed up in like 24 hours. Only once the business was gone, did I realize like, wait a minute, that was a video game bar where a bunch of 20-somethings were drinking Mountain Dew and and antagonizing strangers on headsets, it is 110% likely that every man in that room was covered in semen. Semen stains. To this day, I'm absolutely mystified that I never thought of it that way. That I let myself be so self-conscious and frankly, I've carried that lesson around with me into the world. Whenever I want to create a podcast that's too revealing, or I get self-conscious about, you know, I want to make a video on Instagram, and I don't know if it's funny or not, or maybe I just finished writing a novel, and I want to share a photo of it, but I'll be embarrassed if the novel fails. Whenever I feel that trepidation, I just sort of look myself in the mirror, and I straighten my posture, and I say, Alex, listen, in the black light of the internet, everyone has a little bit of cum on their shirt. And that's my advice to you, beloved listener. Shoot your shot. But so there's this dude at the coffee shop who's regularly making some phlegmy chorus noise with his head. Not the one who said, it's out. Th- the other one. He's always making these noises, It drives me absolutely bonkers, but he sounds genuinely sick. And so for a couple weeks, he would be there doing that, and I'd be like, well, eventually this man will recover, and, it'll, and, and these noises will stop. And then one day, he comes in, he sits down, he starts making those noises, and I was already in a bad mood. So I didn't do the discreet thing of just like looking at my shoes or getting up and leaving instead I jolted in my chair at the first nasal honk and then I looked at him and I threw daggers at him with my eyes and he didn't see me but I noticed that he himself was jolting with each noise that he make and the the noise was mostly like like a hawking noise and I realized as I was watching him the noises actually sounded pretty dry he didn't sound sick They they only sounded sick because he was so loud about it and then I realized his his chin juts out when he does it and and he blinks in pairs and his and his shoulders kind of do a jerky like hiccup up to his ears and i realize it's a fucking nervous tick like all these sinus noises that he's making all this uh, honking and throat clearing i felt like such a tool to have been to just let myself get angry and judgmental about it and then i started thinking about it in in terms of what i was telling you earlier like with respect to my own penchant for oversharing and talking too long and digressing from everything I bring up and the question of whether this is just going to be blanketly repulsive to, you know, most of the people that I encounter and that concern, that hang-up, is really the vector, kind of, from which I get the most intimate kind of reward from the podcast because it's a thing that I make that has become characterized by my digressiveness, my long-windedness, by all the things that I'm always afraid are going to alienate people but now, somehow, having made a hundred episodes in that exact fashion, I've found that even though I'm chaotic and messy and digressive and disorganized and erratic, I, I have found a place among my audience. And from what I can gather, everyone who listens to this and reaches out to me is friendly and bright and, and compassionate. And I feel like I've settled in with you um, as sort of a messy outsider. in a a more straight-laced community, like a spider in the East Wing. That's it for this week, and for this hundred. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.